A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Here we go. Yeah, your boss. Welcome to the uh, podcast on stage. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, you're, you're the director at AO Spine and head of the Global Networks Marketing at AO Foundation. And we met probably over six years ago, I think by now. Uh, That's on true. On a first project and a number of subsequent projects. So, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. I'm excited. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about AO Spine and AO Foundation. Just a quick little snippet so people that don't know what it is that you do. So, the AO Foundation was created in 1958 by surgeons who thought like how to change the way of treating patients with a fracture. At that time, it was still all external fixation. They thought, that's not the way to do it. Casting doesn't give you the right results, so we need to change that. And a couple of surgeons came together and thought of that and changed the way, basically, how it's done with internal fixation, putting screws and plates in it, and then developed basically from there. And one of their key points was that you cannot just give the instruments and implants to surgeons. You need to train them, educate them, and then collect the data afterwards. So they created an organization, the AO Foundation, um, to do that. On one side, develop implants. On the other side, educate the surgeons to use them. And at the end, also collect the data and review if there was success. And out of this, uh, with over time, over the next 60 years, AOSpine, as a subset of the AO Foundation, uh, was created, focusing only on spine surgery. And uh, we do education. So we do about 250 educational events worldwide. We're also aiming to be an academic society so we have our own Congress uh, with about 2,000 participants. We have our own scientific journal, which is open access. And we do a lot of our own research. And of course, we build a community around all of that. We have about 6,000 surgeon members worldwide and quite a lot of data set, I would say, with surgeons and data points with surgeons. That is um, an impressive feat after 60 years of activity. One of the stats that I was uh, sticks to my mind when I um, walked into your offices in uh, in in Davos and, and in Dubendorf was uh, just that proportion of how many people, after breaking something in the past, right, were able to recover from it, and what the statistic looks like today, and that is a phenomenal change over time, right? Absolutely. Remind me of the statistic. What 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 was the exact statistic? Or? I think it was like at least seventy five percent, or quite a high number with casting had a malunion so that means the bones didn't merge together the right way or that's still some disabilities and today it's we're talking about the zero to two percent probably of the same population so it's really dramatically reduced yeah. Yeah. that's a that's an awesome change and change is something we're going to talk about today designed to change right elevating your ability to look and act beyond the now 
Now, this, this book and this podcast, Designed to Change, is all about uh, the conversations around that. And let me start off with a question that's actually in the very first page of Designed to Change. And I'll read it out loud to you. Uh, a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? It depends, I would say. On one side, of course, leaving it to chance gives you the ability to be flexible about the discussion and move to any direction you want. And that's kind of like the brainstorming. You might not always get what you want at that from this conversation. And on the other hand, you have the directed conversation where you prepare, you really think what the, about the outcome before you go into the conversation. So, and sometimes you need that as well. Because that, that gives you really the dramatic change. The other one is kind of the vision. You get a nice vision where you want to go. But in order then to be able to implement it and really go step by step, I think then you need to start really to prepare the conversation and just go in it and see what's happening. Because at the end, you get a great conversation with no outcome. So, And with the other one, when you plan it, you know what the outcome is and you can drive towards this outcome. And that helps you a lot. So, yes. Love that. So I remember our first interaction was probably, you know, a couple of weeks before a large event in Milan for the Spine Congress that was taking place. I think it was in 2016. It was 2016, yes. Yeah. I remember we were having a conversation on, um, you know, maybe we'll have to wait till after the event and then we can look back at the event, at which point we suggested, why not take a close look at the baseline of the event as it's happening, speak to the stakeholders observe the actual uh, delivery of the event. Looking back six years, how do you look back on the changes since? So I think the beginning was great because we were a young Congress. So we were trying to get into a market space with all the ton of other Congresses out there in this industry. And we were wondering, like I was wondering, like, how, what can we do different at that point? And, you know, that's where I searched the internet. And at that same time, I, I think I was hearing about this business model canvas. So I gave canvas and saw event canvas. That's interesting. And I think that the lucky part of it was that you lived close to Basel because I thought, hey, he is living close to Basel. So let's invite him. It can't hurt. And I think that's where it started to really realize is like when we really want to move this young Congress into another direction than what the, all the others do, because that's kind of how you start. Usually you copy what the others do and just do a little bit better. But that's how you start, but then you realize like we need something else. So what helped at that point is we didn't know who the stakeholders were, of course, surgeons. But I think we didn't realize that we have way more than surgeons. And even within the surgeon group, you have different kinds of stakeholders. And just learning about that, seeing what the different viewpoints are. And, you know, when we, we had this uh, design room at that point where you open up this room, people could go in put some post-its on different ideas, especially also on ideas for the future. I think that opened our eyes that we need to be a little bit more careful how we do it and not just focus on the ones who present, but also the ones who listen and the ones who have a complete different agenda than what we think the agenda should be of a surgeon. So it's really putting our ourselves into the shoes of participant, of a speaker, of an abstract, uh, abstract submitter, a poster presenter. And with that, and then also subsequently, like learning about the canvas, you know, the having first a long list and getting short list, we learned what we need to think about. So we, we started to more on a, let's say, a structured way, we, we get got into it and not just out of 
what our intuition is, what our experience was, and what we thought is right. It was really like, what do the others think? How do we see from the other side, out of the other's eyes? So that helped. And with that, we could start evolving, looking where we are. Okay, today's maybe the wrong time to look at the Congress. But looking at when we last in Toronto, when we had our last face-to-face -face meeting in 2019, we developed tremendously. And we could develop not just for the participant, and we grew to the Congress with the most sent in abstracts. So it's still a, like we are 10 years old. So we are a young Congress compared to the others, but we have the most abstracts being sent in. Mm -hmm. So we already put our weight in. We're still lacking in sponsorship. We still have way more to learn. So we're nowhere at the end. But now we know how to think about it. Now we know we can take one of, we don't need to develop everything at once. We can look at one stakeholder, understand them, change something for them at the next meeting, learn about it, review it, and then adapt over the time. And we can do that for each stakeholder we have. And always do a little bit here, a little bit there, because you cannot change everything at the same time. But it, it, it's kind of, I think I, I heard in one of your other podcasts, uh, I think it was the guy from Purdue saying, and we have scientists as well, right? It's like a trial. You do some, you have a hypothesis, you trial it, you review it, and then you learn from it, and then you move forward. So, it's, And that's exactly similar to what we've done and learned. And the other thing is we have a common language, you know, because as you know, that once we had a team in, on board, that's not enough for AO. It's always because we're a surgeon-led organization. That means we need to surgeon on board. And I think that was one of the greatest success having this canvas having this methodology then also to show to the surgeons working with the surgeons through that methodology so that we then could actually work with them and talk the same language move forward they understood what we wanted they understood how we thought and we understood how they thought and sometimes some there were some surprises as well from both sides but now we're seeing eye to eye and we know exactly what uh, they want as a as one of the stakeholders and we can actually fulfill their needs yeah so interesting how in hindsight when you look back you know obviously six years is quite a stretch of time and predictable and unpredictable things happen in those types of horizons of change right at the time I remember we were designing for 2024 which is still you know three years away and obviously as we get closer to the one horizon you know the next horizon pops up and it seems like you're moving slower, but at the same time, you're moving faster than ever because the change that you run into uh, is something you can now deal with from the stakeholders' uh, perspective. On that note, let me ask you the question, uh, Yair. What's currently on your horizon of change? So my horizon of change is like we just reorganized the whole setup in the OEO. So a complete reorganization of how we work from a divisional point of view to a functional point of view. So that's the biggest change we've seen at the moment. It was one of the biggest changes within the organization. And so we're facing that. We're facing the communication bits of it, how to look at it. And of course, that, that's internally. If I look at the external event situation, it, it's, you know, everything related to COVID. You know, we're having a Congress coming up in November. We still don't know today if we're going to have it as a face-to-face -face event or as a hybrid event or as a only virtual. So now we're facing even more difficulties because we did surge again. Like in August, every like beginning of August, everything looked fine. 
And now we're at the end of August and suddenly we see a huge increase of cases, borders shut down. And now we are realizing that not all the surgeons are, might be able to fly in. So the question is like, how do we deal with it? And we cannot postpone. We already postponed it from 2020 to 21. In 21, we were at May. So we had to move from May to November. So I think we're at the end of postponing an event. Yeah. So now the question is, do we want to go virtual fully or do we stay face to face or do we have anything in between? Yeah. And uh, so we'll have to fit. That's one of the biggest challenges on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Not the far horizon, though. <laughs> Yeah, and I think as the horizon comes closer, it seems like you're moving slower, but actually you're getting closer to your target and then the next horizons appear, right? But also what I hear you saying is that there's such a cadence of this event taking place year on year, and it's such a global event that if there is a, a reason why the cadence changes or the context within which you can actually have the event changes, that is a big disruptor for the various stakeholders, which forces you to change almost, right? You become the subject of change if you do not stay ahead of the pack. And I, I, I commend your team for being very um, proactive. I remember already four or five years ago, we were thinking about you know, all the digital ways of um, expanding the thinking. And although there may be boundaries that you run into at that stage, the preparatory thinking is very important, I think, to have, uh, to have that ready. It allows you to take... Uh, change at a different pace. On that note, um, I'd like to take you further down this, this rabbit hole that we're currently on, because I think the horizons of change, especially with your, with your very focused work at AO Spine and at the AO Foundation, because your context is also changing and re reorganizing it. I think it would be very interesting to explore that a little bit further if you indulge me. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions, which, you know, feel free to answer them spontaneously. And, and we'll have time after this podcast also to, to reflect and maybe have a written answer from you because we are collecting all of these conversation starters and sparkers so that others that are facing similar situation can build on that repository. So yeah, yeah. The first question I'm going to ask you about horizons of change is this one. How do you involve others in the change you design for? As we as said, we're like, I think in our case, we need to involve others. And with others, I mean, especially the surgeons. So these are full-time surgeons and volunteering for us. Mm -hmm. So they give a lot of time for the AO. Mm -hmm. And anything we do, we need to involve them because we're doing it not for us we don't do it you know we're just star like on the staff level we might have the functional knowledge but we don't understand sometimes how a surgeon thinks and so for me the most important part is always to get their feedback so understand how their daily life or what the daily challenges are what their needs are and sometimes they don't know it because they're also in their hamster wheel of daily doing surgeries coming out and moving on and i think you know, I was just uh, preparing my one of my international boards coming up, international boards. I thought like, you know, how far should we go and how far should we think? Because the closer you think, the closer is your mind as well. And I've seen that when we did the GSC and, you know, it was 2016 and we talked about 2024, what we want to achieve. It seems so far away, right? Yeah. It seems far away, but it suddenly opens up so many possibilities because then you can start dreaming. 
it doesn't mean that you're going to achieve everything, but you can start dreaming. And, you know, that's where we said at 2006, we want to have 6,000 participants. And we were at that time, we were at 1,300 participants. So that's a huge stretch. But it allowed us to open up the viewpoint so far in advance. And I think that also helps surgeons who are in a certain term. So they only have three-year term. But if we start think about outside of their term, they open up their thinking and then we can say, okay, that's where we want to go. What can we achieve in the next three years when you have your term in order to get to this point? And I think that helps them because if you only think about three years, that's a short period of time. Yeah. And then you, you don't think about the big picture. You just think about what legacy do I want to leave? Yeah. And that might be just a legacy for the next three years, but we, you know, staying another year and then it's gone. But if you think about six years, it's a path already into the right direction of the legacy they want to leave. So, and if you think yeah. back at, because your organization has a legacy of six decades, right? 60 years of development. So I remember you were looking back at some point and, and, and celebrating that history as well. The next question maybe pertains to that, right? So how do the events you design become markers of change in your organization? So us. Oh, that's a difficult one. Success we can actually see, you know, we do a lot of educational events. So, and you could always fall in the trap and say, look what we've done yet last year, we can just continue to do it and not evolve. And I think every time we see a successful event, we start, or at least some of us start reviewing it. Like what was the success about it? Because maybe we can take this part of it and replicate it in another event and see how we can use that so we starting from one event or and then as i said like we have like an ao spinal we have 250 but if you look at the whole ao we have about a thousand educational events 800 to a thousand education events or meetings and everything so we have a ton of learning opportunities and taking always the best out of it and see and say okay that's how we thought about it. That's how we organized uh, this event from a resource point of view, from a financial point of view, from an instructional point of view, from a design point of view. Why not taking what we learned there and use it for all the other events we do? And with that, we can really start evolving and getting better and better. And uh, we also have an education institute thinking about what's the best way to educate uh, surgeons. So we also have it from a theoretical point of view to look at it and say, okay, what's the latest in uh, adult education and what should we take there and how do we do it? And then we have always the pilot events here and learn about it, see if it works, see what we need to adapt before we roll out to a big, in big scale. Yeah. It's actually something that stood out to me when first studying your event is on the one hand, how close the content contributors uh, stand to the purpose of what originally the foundation was founded for, but also how cutting edge they keep pushing the boundary of how they want to learn, how they think the next generation wants to learn. Uh, that instructional design has now been formalized, as you indicated, there's a learning institute which actually looks at that professional education. When it comes to your event owner, like you said before, is, you know, these are surgeons that might you know, be you know, they're practicing in their clinical environment, they might be doing their own research. Sometimes these boards change and there's different people that are involved. How do you have that conversation with your event owner? Let's say the one that at the end of the day 
you know, decides we're going left or right, or, you know, there's a sense of direction, obviously. How do you have that conversation? Hopefully, honest, uh, honestly, it's always difficult because we have so many of these event owners and they, they come sometimes with a prefabricated notion of what they want. So they know exactly what they want and um, I think they know also how to deliver because all of them are not just working or working and volunteering for us. They volunteer for a lot of other societies as well. So they know how to do things. But what we realized that sometimes it, it's not to change them completely. And uh, I think sometimes it's really necessary just to show them and, you know, talk with them how they felt when they were a participant, how, so putting them into the shoes of the participant coming in, putting them into the shoe of a sponsor. So they start thinking like the other part, other stakeholders of an event. And what helped then is like, if they start understanding that, then, then it helps, they, they understand like, you know what, I'll change my part here a little bit and here a little bit. So they start realizing that it's not just about them. It's about the experience, the participant. And it's not just the, the participant because the chair of an event or the event owner, of the, there's also a faculty group, so other teachers. So we have not just the participants who want to have a ex good experience, it's also the faculty who want to have a good experience. So we also then need to think about the faculty group, how we can help them to get everything better. And so it trickles then down also to them when the chair talks to them and say, okay, when you do a lecture, think about that. And what we also have, we have an education advisor. That's a senior surgeon who's done a lot of events, been an event owner. So he's advising then the next generation of event owners to, and also being at the event. So he looks at it at the, from a different viewpoint. So he can also help. So we are trying to really have a 360 view on the event from every angle, from every part. So, and then at the end coming together and then really say, okay, what went well, what didn't went, how would you change this? How, what would you do the next time? So it's also learning experience for the chair, for the faculty, and also for the staff, because every staff, every event is so different that yeah. we can really evolve and take uh, all the learnings with us. Yeah. I was very impressed at, at, the, at that learning culture, also at the opening of the Congresses, or most of the educational events that I've seen that you do, you, you state the purpose of what you do and why you do that very clearly before going on to anything else. And I think that's very, it's very powerful to experience from the outside to see how ingrained that is in the culture of your events, especially considering the amount of events that you do in the different fields. The next question is, how do you enable them to express their vision? It's by asking. I think it's really preparation of uh, questions, you know, and trying to trying to get them out of their term. I think that's probably the most biggest mind boundary, I would say, because if I come in as a surgeon and I have my term, I know either or one event, I only think about this event or about my term the next year and the next three years. So I think what we, I'm trying to do is always like, and how would you look backwards? So not looking forward, but trying to look backwards. So quite asking the questions like really, like when you finish with your term, you're standing in front of your audience, you know, you have your last speech. What would you like to say at that speech? So it, it forces them to look kind of backwards or inside, better said, what, what do they want to talk about at that point? 
And if they can start thinking about that, talking about that, it helps them to visualize the future as well. And then we can really start kind of backward planning. Say, okay, in order to get there, what do we need to achieve? What steps do we need to do in order to get there? I think that really helps them a lot. Because it, again, it's hard to come from a busy world and then thinking about the future. So sometimes we need to take them out of the busy world and then it helps. Yeah. Which leads nicely into this next question, which is how do you enable them to connect the vision to the event, right? Because you've brought them to that future state, right? So you said, okay, imagine that your term is finished and you can look onto the back and what will you have achieved? And, and that's the creation of the narrative. How do you then because at the end of the day, you and your team have to take that future vision and break it back down to, okay, so what do we do for event one, two, three that are upcoming? How do you enable that connection to the vision, to the event story? I think you, you actually said it, you need to tell a story. So what you're trying to do is saying, how do we get there? What's the story of our way to get there? So take the points of the vision, break it down into little parts and I think and then it's up to us to really say when do we do it because it sometimes it's so let's do everything and especially you're so enthusiastic at the point when you have the vision you want to do everything the next meeting <laughs> and that you're just running there and say oh we need to do this and that and then at one point but you, then you need to realize and I think sometimes it helps if somebody from outside looks at it and says do you have the resources to do that do you have the money to do that ah yeah okay start small what helps start really the, with the feasible parts in order because i think what you also need is the success story because you have a vision and if in, for, in the year one you don't have any successes then you can forget two and three because everybody says look it never works but if, if in year one you can already show the little steps the successes you already have in order to get on the path to the vision they fully behind you and then they're so enthusiastic they will help you to do things. And as they're volunteers, they even, they're so passionate. So sometimes it's hard, it's, you need to stop them, but sometimes you need, and sometimes when you see the passion comes out, then it's easier to actually implement new items. Also things which they thought like, hey, I never believe it's going to work. And they say, let us do that. And if it doesn't work, we're not going to repeat it, but let us do that and we'll show you the miracle. And, and then it works. And then he says, you know what? I trust you. Now I really trust you. You can do whatever you think is good. And you get me to the vision and I'm supporting you in all ways. So it's almost like when you start out driving, you don't start out on the highway driving 150 kilometers an hour, but you start out on a small road or on a parking lot, you know, and you allow yourself to bump slowly into some of the hurdles <laughs> that you go into instead of at full speed. And I like how you articulate that because there's never a shortage of ambition I've seen in your organization for people to you know, move the needle faster, but it's also about throttling the needle so that it actually stays at speed, right? On to the next question, which is important as an organization, because you have, or also for the volunteer leaders, they have a fiduciary responsibility, but there's a responsibility for, for how these things create value. So the question is, how do you articulate the value that the events create? And, and this is a good question, the value, because the question is which stakeholder, which value, because there's so many values and so many, each stakeholder has their own value. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to figure out like, what is the overall value of the event? Of course, we as an organization, we have a value. We want to show 
And I think that's kind of where you try to find the right KPIs. I think for a Congress, it's how many abstracts we get the next year. That means if we get more and more abstract, that means more and more surgeons are inclined to say, I want to do it there because it's a good event to actually submit my work. Mm. And then, of course, it's the sponsors. So because what I also realize is, you know, we need to make sure that they have a value out of it. So how do we, we need to design for them. We can't just ask for the money and say, right, but you just have your booth there and be happy that you're with our event. No, we need to think about already of the design of the event. So how do we actually get the participants through the, oh, into the exhibition? So what do we, what event, what event do we do within the exhibition hall? So we get people there. And the value for me is then when I can see that the re-signing of the sponsors so it's really like then it's it's hard facts at the end right is there is re-signing of the sponsors are more sponsors joining us is the feedback we gather with them i think a lot of communication is necessary Mm -hmm. and and then i think what's also important is like this the value which is a hard to measure value is this experience feeling kind of where the emotional part right where when you talk with surgeons after the Congress or when they talk, actually when they talk with their friends saying, you know what, I've been just to a great Congress. And yeah, the, the science was good as well, but I met a ton of good people. I had great conversations. I talked with a case with one of my, of the key opinion leaders in that field. Mm. I actually, it helped me to advance my practice. Yeah. And that's hard to measure. So my, of course we can send out surveys and ask, but you always in surveys, you answer whatever you want to answer. But it's then maybe it's also the communication afterwards, what the surgeons talk with each other. So it's then really the feedback we receive from our surgeons working with us, what their colleagues has, have said about the event. And that's where we realize how much value this event will bring. Okay. And again, we are like on one side, the hard facts, the emotional facts, or the emotional part of it. So we need to weigh both. Because only if you're successful, get more sponsored, that's nice. But at one point, if nobody wants to come again, it's just a waste of time, right? So looking at, um, just curious to ask, because, you know, scientists are evidence-based and, you know, they're always looking at, you know, data and the, and the actual behaviors that come out of that data, which is also what you have been able to experience over time. You've trained your team to be able to do event design with the various events that you organize at various levels. Looking back over six years, do you think that, or what kind of behavior change has applying event design delivered in your organization? And has it uh, delivered the value you expected from it? For the Congress, definitely. I think the Congress is also one event per year. So we have way more time to think about it, way more time to put time into it and design it and think about all the stakeholders. So definitely for the Congress. Hmm. I think for the smaller events, which are like, you know, where one person has about 15 events per year to organize, it's harder to take the time and to reflect. And, you know, because these events are so small, I would say small is maybe the wrong word, but they're so fast paced that you just do it. And I hope at the end, and that's what I try to do when I have my whole team learning about this event design. My goal was, look, I'm not, they're not going to take time and sit down and, you know, create an event designed for each of their events. But if they know 
what to look for, if they know what to ask at the event, if they go to one and say, and just, you know, take one participant and ask them, hey, how did you know about this event? What was your issues about getting to the event? So they realize that all these parts which we have in this, in this methodology comes together at one point. So they take one, at, one small part each and improve the next event. And with that, I think it's just a, the mindset going into the event is not just I'm in the event and just need to run it and that's it. No, it's also stepping maybe at the event, stepping one step outside of the event, looking at it from a different viewpoint, talking with the participant, talking with the faculty and asking them the exact the right questions in order to improve the event for the next time. And that was my goal for, for the bigger, for the smaller events. And from that point, I think, yes, everybody learned from it. I think everybody went through the training change the mindset everybody know now can ask these questions if they do it that's a different question but they can ask the question and i think it just opened the mindset that it's not just a running of an event but it's also sometimes taking a deep breath looking at it seeing what works what doesn't work and then improve it the next time yeah. well i was you know this 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 has been a tremendous journey for us as well to to learn together and to see how I mean, I'm fascinated by the learning pathways that you guys create and how you, how they're also formalized and how they're translated into instructional designs and how the, the stacking of various events leads to, for instance, for AO Spine and also into the, into the Global Congress. Thank you, Yair, for answering these questions with us in the onstage part. And we're going to go offstage in a moment. Before we do that, I have two questions to ask. One of them is, we'd love for others to get that succinct insight that we had out of this podcast. So we'll ask you to, the questions I ask you, just give a really brief written commentary, maybe within, uh, within the next week, which we'll then add to the podcast. And the other question, a year from today, we'd like to uh, set a marker into the future on that horizon, and then look back at how the horizon has changed um, also over the past year uh, together. So are you game for Absolutely. That? All right. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. It doesn't mean we're not going to have conversations between now and then, but you know, it's it is one one of those yearly, you know, an anchor year out is always a great way to look back at what we thought where we were today. And by the way, today is August 2021, right? We are still in the in the pandemic situation. If somebody might listen to this a couple of years down the line, this was a situation which we didn't necessarily know what the context was going to look like and Live events, online events, hybrid events were in full motion and uh, turmoil. And I think you're dealing with it in a really good way, uh, which is not easy. So kudos to you and the team for doing that, uh, Yair. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.